Hi, Ron here and welcome. We love that you've come to join us here and listen to a lot of our episodes. Please help us continue with this by supporting us through either joining the Barack Center at thebarackcenter.com or joining us at the Fringe Church at thefringechurch.com and sharing and donating through those sources. And once again, thank you for joining us today. Oh, good morning and welcome again to Devotions. We're in um, Revelations chapter 2 of the 12th verse. And to the angel of the church at Pergamum, write, These things, says he, who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know where your home is. I know that it is where the throne of Satan is. And yet you hold fast to my name and have not denied your loyalty to me. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful martyr, who was killed among you, where Satan has his throne. But I have a few things against you. You have among you some people who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat meat offered to idols and to commit fornication. So you too have those in the same way holding to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. So then repent. If you do not, I'm coming to you quickly and I will go to war with them with the sword of my mouth. Let him who has an ear hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give a share of the hidden manna. I will give him a white stone and written on that stone a new name, which no one but him who receives it knows. Well, Pergamon um, was a centre of learning, a very, very strong seat of Greek culture and pagan religion. It had a library that was second only to Alexandria in the ancient world. And in fact, um, when Alexandria was in a turf war over libraries, they, uh, they blocked the export of parchment to Pergamum and Pergamum invented, um, sorry, the papyrus to Pergamum. So Pergamum invented parchment and quite won the day. So a massive technological breakthrough for the history of the world happened in this town. Um, it was the seat of Asclepius, the god of healing. Um, the worship of Zeus was incredibly strong there. There was a huge um, temple and altar to Zeus on the side of a hill that, as you looked at, was 40 feet high and 300 feet up a hill. It was massive. It looked a bit like a throne. So perhaps that's part of what lies behind the throne of Satan thing. Um, the cult of the emperor found a fertile home. Um, so, yeah, John doesn't look at any of the great healing god Asclepius or, or Zeus or anything. There's anything other than false gods and distractions. Jesus is God. Appearance, you know, all of this tremendous healing, um, the knowledge of the great high god Zeus, it's all good in itself, but when it compromises the knowledge of God in Christ, it's got to be cast out and rejected flat out. Um, Jesus is the one who has the sharp two-edged sword. The proconsul in this town um, had what's called the right of the sword. Proconsuls came in two types. Those who could kill a man at a word and those who could not. Proconsul here is a very well-established town. He had the right of the sword. John says, yeah, Jesus actually controls life and death. Um, that's, that's that. And of course, the sword in Hebrews is an image for the word of God, who Jesus is. Um, and he's going to attack the Nicolaitans, if you notice, by the word of his mouth. This, this sword, uh, sorry, the sword of his mouth. So 
This sword thing is really, really important, both as an affront to Rome, but also as an image of the word of God, the truth of God, that will attack uh, the corrupt teaching that's going on there. Now, those of you who were with me during Acts will remember Acts 15, the Council of Jerusalem. What were the two big things that the Council of Jerusalem asked of the Gentile Christians? Abstain from meat offered to idols and fornication. What are the two big issues here? Meat offered to idols and fornication. This is Acts 15, still working itself out through the church. This is still the ongoing debate about exactly that. And the Nicolaitans are a very liberal group who are saying, look, even that doesn't really matter that much. Um, and, and we can compromise. It's very, very hard not to compromise. And you know, if we do that, even being Christians, it's a whole lot better than, than you know, than being a Christian who, who has this standard of, of food and sex. Now, a lot of today's popular spirituality appears quite benign, even quite lovely. But if it takes people away from Christ, be it by compromise in Christians, false religion, ideas of a great high God that are simply wrong, even healings that do not originate in Christ, it's just condemned. Satan has moved on to the throne. And the, the issue in this church is quite simple and one we all have to deal with all the time. Should we allow our standards, our personal moral standards, to offend the people who live around us? Do those personal moral standards actually matter? Is there anything really wrong with meeting meat offered to idols? I mean, you know, Paul argued that. He, he was pretty liberal on these things himself. Should we press our standard of sexual morality on our neighbours? Um, these are matters of personal conviction. So... The church is constantly confronted by the difficulty of, uh, of, of compromise. And the Nicolaitans are the, the great compromisers of the book of Revelation. Um, the issues may appear irrelevant, fussy, out of touch. But they matter. Paul said there are some things that are always wrong. Some things that are always right. And some things depend entirely on conscience. But wherever it lands, it matters. When you offend against conscience, you're offending God. And that is an issue. We're dealing with the Holy God. You cannot have patience for this teaching. You can't have patience for these people any longer. Um, you've got to come apart from among them and touch not the unclean thing. So the Nicolaitans no doubt considered themselves as good church people um, who had the right to differ on a few minor issues. Can you imagine the pain within this community, already in pain, as friends have to approach friends and say, this compromise is a compromise, it's no longer acceptable, unless you turn yourself around, I'm not going to hang out with you anymore. Who are you to judge me? Take the, the log out of your own eye before you talk to the speck in mine and all that sort of stuff. That's where it would have gone. Very uncomfortable time in any church when this happens. But Jesus allows no misunderstanding. Personal morality matters every much, every bit as much as social justice and faith. Morals and ethics come in a set. And, and you can't, in the kingdom of God, you can't be immoral and ethical or unethical 
but moral. The two are together. What happens in the inner world, what happens in your personal life, what happens in your public life, what happens in your contribution as a citizen, it's all coming out of the same river. You know, can, can one tree produce two different types of fruit? Can one river produce salt and fresh water? Well, the Christians are a bit of a laughing stock, and, um, and they are excluded. They're cut out of a lot of things. Jesus gives them a stone. The stone um, has a lot of possibilities of what it could be, but stones and, and tablets of, little tablets of wood were given as entry tickets um, for people who had the right, you know, the keys of the city sort of thing. You get a little stone. A gladiator, the very few gladiators who lived into their old age were given a stone. That stone basically let them in anywhere. These were men whose honour was beyond doubt and they were welcome anywhere. That's the stone. Uh, the white stone was used in acquittal in, um, in judicial cases, black stone for condemnation. But Jesus gives them a stone. And he says, you are excluded over what looks like fussy, trivial issues. I am giving you the entry ticket to all the important places and you will feast on the food of heaven on the way there. Now, the last thing I want to say is quite technical. It's a, it's a piece of Greek. The reason Christ says to the church in Pergamum, I know where you stay, where you abide, where you live. This is really unusual. In the New Testament, when it talks about us living in the world, in our culture, it usually talks about us as aliens or refugees or um, visitors. Here it says, you live, you abide, you remain in Pergamum. And it's, it's very marked when you, you think of the way the New Testament never, ever, ever does that. The Christians of Pergamum have their permanent residence there. It's where Satan's rule is strongest. It's where bad things happen. And there's something very, very important in that. The principle of the Christian life is not escape, but conquest. Now, the conquest looks like the cross. The conquest doesn't look like leaving other people with bloodied noses. The conquest, you know, we, we've gone through that often enough, is the capacity to bear all things and endure all things and still to stand. But that's the principle. We are called to be Christians in the place where we are planted. I find it horrifying that about 30% of Christians in, uh, in a country that shall remain nameless, where they keep really good statistics on these things, have stopped attending church simply because of coronavirus. They're not online, they're not in fellowship, they've dropped out, and all it took was a little bit of social isolation. Jesus says here, you live in the seat of Satan. You are surrounded by evil. You are inflicted by conflict and, and uh, compromise inside. Stand, stay put, hold on. It's just such a call to character and resolution here. And honestly, mm, let's just pray. Father, we come to you this morning and ask that some of that steel would get into our souls. God, some of that big-spiritedness. Father, and we don't want to become fussy, self-righteous people who are looking at other Christians, telling them we think they're wrong. Lord, we've seen the results of that down through history. It's a joke. But Lord, equally, we've seen what happens when Christians don't hold on to holiness. 
So, Lord, hold us, help us to get that balance right. And then, Lord, when we have arrived at a place that works for us and where we are consistent with your word and where we can back ourselves biblically and in community, Father, give us resolve and steel to stand our ground. We live here. We are Christians here. The throne of Satan might look good and we might look excluded and the proconsul can kill us anytime he wants, but Jesus has the sword. Jesus has the stone. Uh, and I love, I didn't say it, but Antipas, the faithful martyr. That's a name given to Jesus himself. Jesus gives us his own name to wear like a garment. So, Father, just help us to, oh, I don't know, get a bit harder in a lovely way. I don't know. Iron fist in a velvet glove. I don't know what it is, Lord, but, but just write some of this stuff in our hearts. God, these people, and, and there was a huge falling away. We know that. We know that people dropped out of the church. But, Father, many did not, and the church went forward and ultimately, strangely, overtook the Roman Empire itself. Make us a bit more like them, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you, folks. We'll carry on through Asia Minor tomorrow morning. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to another episode. And please, don't forget to sign up to the thebarackcenter.com or thefringechurch.com and help support us so we can reach many more. Thank you again for joining us today.